You're listening to Transplaner RPG, an all-transgender, people-of-color-led, dark-fantasy actual play channel set in an original non-colonial, anti-orientalist multiverse. The Chaos Protocol is our second main campaign and stars Valiant Dorian, Kai Kay, and Sam Starr as players, with C. Thomas as the producer and Connie Chong as the game master. Transplaner RPG is sponsored by Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines, has asked us to say, and I quote, Please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon, because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy failing upward, and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. We love you, Dimitri, and thank you so much for supporting our work. Content warnings for this episode include fire, immolation, environmental destruction, flying, heights, falling. Ghosts, storms, monsters and monstrosity, fantasy violence, manipulation, complex and complicated relationships, body horror, and explosions. Arc 1, Episode 30. When I'm Gone. From Self-Eulogy of a Martyr by Connie Chong. The old growth wood is burning. Columns of flame wave like crimson death flags in a dry wind spitting thick clouds of ash onto the bare roots of the canopy. Under the pale light of the twin moons, the ashen leviathan reforms. Its lashing tails bristle amidst the smoke and the flame. It plunges into the burning thrash and rustles westward through the branches, drowning everything in its wake. In ash, we push westward over thick mounds of naked, burning roots. The fire isn't just spreading, it's cropping up everywhere in little pockets of hungry, hungry flame. As the heart of the wild sea burns at the bottom of the world, so does every part of it in the drown. The sink, the thrash, the tangle, the surface. We see those cactus pads, each the size of a trampoline painted orange from fire. We see the roving, roving ship, its bony hull ablaze as its low-slung tread tramples over the knotted vines of the old-growth wood, stamping out the fires around it even as it continues to burn. We see the Toshank trees teeming with panic as its inhabitants try desperately to stem the rising red at the roots of their home. We push farther west, hurtling into greenery now mottled with crimson until we find the sailing stones of the Raya bobbing in the verdant surf. Pockets of flame grow rapaciously around the ships, leashed to these stones, bloody fingers stretching eagerly toward broadwood hulls and iron root outriders. And then, descending from the floating royal islands, sky warriors. An entire murder of them, dozens, a hundred, torquing through the air on thousands of feathers. These warriors dive and soar, ripping up fearsome gales that buffet these spitting flames. Up above, on the edge of Aminu Gate, King Zumarud Jadir and Queen Amin Aliakut swiftly give orders to these sky warriors, shouting at them to break the flames with gales and wind. Down below, astride their commanding ship. Admiral Sahim Kubra leads the royal fleet around the hazards and flames of the dock, staunching fires and rescuing the stranded. 
The warriors circle in the air. They twist, they glide. A whirlwind springs from their surging wings. The fire hisses, the heat seizes. But they need more. These gales are on the teetering brink between snuffing out the flame and feeding it. They need more strength, more force, more raw, sheer power. And then, diving down on an elder Triforodon the size of a whale, King Maswu Zahar, the frame of his mechanical feathered wings is balanced across elbows and scapulae. As the Triforodon dives toward those wavering flames, Maswu leaps off her back. He spreads his wings, revealing a span of 30, 40 feet, and the scion of body joins his warriors in the sky, flapping his feathers with an almighty gusto. His Triforodon, too, beats her wings, the sound of it like thunder breaking the sky. The flames grow smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and we cut south to Chongxin's surge. This reach is comprised of hale, jagged settlements built upon the exposed roof of an ancient pagoda so wide that every layered tier can hold an entire village, and so tall that the temple's base begins from somewhere within the darkness under eaves. The surge's people are as hardy as the storms that batter them daily. They are used to archonautical disasters, magical anomalies, cyclones of spirit and fury. So, as fire springs from nowhere, like spirit lamps being lit by angry ghosts, the people of Chongxin Surge do as they've always done. They rally. Under the command of Countess Pike Donohan, Suhyeon's paternal cousin, the Magi and Mudong of the Surge's court galvanize at once. They rush to the edges of their sprawling courtyards, hands outstretched, lips in constant murmuration, and we feel the very atmosphere itself begin to charge. Surging out of the now, from the after, pressing themselves into existence are the ancestral spirits of the Wild Sea. Their voices hollow with fury. These ghosts rush forward toward those crimson waves, wrapping their translucent forms around the fires and suffocating the oxygen out of them. The people of the Surge also act. The pirates and sellswords and sailors and gamblers they take to their ships, fearless and roaring. They fill their ship-mounted armaments with the crude water of the surge's many pools and waterfalls, and they fire at the flames. Amidst these proud common folk, we find pirate queen Axel and her stalwart crew working together as a well-oiled, silent machine. Their journey west has yielded a breadcrumb trail of just-missed clues. Iphigenia had escaped Axel's grasp once more, but not for long. Axel is on their way back east astride their cocoon-powered ship. They just need to beat back these flames first. As a cloud of watery arrows descends upon the surge's fires, we fall down to find Siren's Song. The mountain is gray, the trees are green, and the fire is red, red, red. 
It eats the waves, lapping at the harbor, and begins to eat the harbor, too. The people of Siren Song are shouting, throwing water, moving up the hillside as a crimson tide begins to swallow the base of their home. And up above, standing at the edge of the royal palace, looking down at this spreading fire in panic, is Queen Hylian Mylesia. Her stern face is drawn and grave. Every soul shank vine that the fire consumes, she feels in her heart of hearts. She looks past the flames, past the waves, at the unending horizon where she knows her daughter is fighting as she looks back at her people. Mylesia takes a deep breath and closes her eyes. She draws upon a connection she hasn't summoned in over a quarter of a century, but she knows has always been there waiting for her to call upon it in her most dire time of need. She feels that connection braiding her toward her daughter, and a smile chances upon Mylesia's lips. You're doing it, Amarjan, aren't you? Stepping into your destiny as a scion. I can feel the power leaving me as it flows into you, but it's not completely gone yet. Your old woman still has a few tricks up her sleeve, and Mylesia opens her eyes and they are glowing. And then the storm comes. Thick clouds coalesce, rumbling with thunder, flashing with lightning above your heads. Rain descends upon the flames. The deluge is immense and relentless. The fire beneath hisses in pain, retreats, shrinks, screams, and still Mylesia commands it, and still the rain falls. We see the queen's chest heaving, her skin soaked to the bone, her eyes glowing like a cerulean lighthouse. She feels every drop of water as it hisses against fire, senses every explosion of evaporation as though she herself were being burned into oxygen. And yet she persists, because she is the queen, because she too, like her daughter, is the heart of the Wild Sea. We fly east past the reigns of Siren Song, past the Mudong and Pirates of Chongsin Surge, past the Royal Navy and Sky Warriors of the Raya, past the ancient strongholds of the Old Growth Wood, down, down into the thrash, the tangle, the sink, and the drown, and the darkness under eaves to find Aragnus, coiled like a firing pin, red as marrow blood, jaws unhewn and smoldering. Beneath him, we find Nova and the Scions, and the hearts of the Wild Sea. Amarjan, you ripple with power and storm in the canopy of the darkness under eaves, your mouth brimming with sparks of gushing thunder. Aragnus snarls down against your fury where your force meets his steam erupts and hisses in thick, violent plumes. You see his fires swirling around him, but several large tongues are beginning to ribbon down to Seir, dozens of feet beneath you as he conducts the storm of fire. What do you do, Scion of Heart? So you see, I have two things I need to do, and I can only do one thing. That's why you have to think smart, not hard. It's very hard to conduct an evil villain storm of fire if you get knocked on your ass. 
whenever Ragnar looks down at me next with some fucking quippy line to say, calling me child or some shit, I want to uh, shoot like a blast of like lightning into their mouth. Just like straight up, like yeah. as soon as they like say, like I want to shoot lightning like, right into their mouth. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Make me a roll for that. So that's either going to be iron or teeth, I think. Let's say teeth. Okay. What skill are you bringing in? Okay, hear me out. Could it be outwit? Because I'm not trying to necessarily hurt Aregnus. I'm trying to like knock Aregnus off his game to like stop, like don't try and fireball the little fleshy human people fight the big dragon. What you're hoping to get out of this is that he focuses on you as opposed to like- yes like completely breaking it, which feels impossible at this point. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so make that roll and remember add 3d6 cause you are in dragon form. Sick. I'm gonna cut two from this because our Regnus with every passing moment is getting stronger and sharper. And as he gets bigger, his field of vision and perception of this fight is widening. It's going to be difficult to deceive a God as he's growing to the heart of his fury. Can I use my aspect lightning call? Yeah, what does that do? I can shoot lightning. <laughs> it's like I can shoot lightning. <laughs> that adds an additional you d6 can... to the pool. Yes. Sick. That leaves me with two fives. That's pretty good. That is a conflict with a twist. So on a conflict, that's a success with a drawback. So I think what happens is as Aregnus turns to survey the field around him, sure enough, as he opens his mouth, but instead of his jaw moving with every word, you just hear it emanating from every lick of flame burning up the canopies around you. He says, you foolish child, you, and then you shoot that lightning bolt right on the birth child. And what does it look like as it explodes from your body? It is not like so like lightning you see like blue or like teal, but I think Armagen is like still on the edge of like uncontrollable rage. I think it comes out like like jet black. Ooh, jet black lightning. Yeah. It lances out from your body like a violent obsidian javelin and punches right into his open maw. And we see it explode out the back of his throat and vanish deeper into the canopy beyond, lighting up the darkness under eaves with black illumination before it fizzles out into ozone. Though we see a hole forming in the fire that makes up the back of his neck, braids of flame begin to ribbon back together to patch it up as he turns his head away from the majority of the fight and settles his burning, sizzling gaze on you. (sighs) What did I say earlier? You are nothing but a nuisance. You have already reached the apex of your power. Get just a taste of my ascension. He opens his maw and it pummels you with a pillar of flame. That's going to be the drawback. So as this huge column of fire just blasts you full in the face, I need you to mark three. Okay, okay. I can do that. Can I say something back to this? Absolutely. 100%. You see... That is where you are wrong. You have only gotten the taste of what the Scions can do. Child. Oh, and the twist I'm going to give you is you see, even though his eyes are hollow flames, you see them narrow and the redness starts to turn darker, starts to turn like a charcoal kind of black in the pits of his gaze. As the twist you get is 
insight into how Aregnus thinks, how he behaves. What you said seemed to touch on something that really pissed him off. He hates being talked down to. Hates it, hates it, hates it, because for so long he has been powerless. For three centuries he's had to rely on this baron of ash, on people. He's a god, reduced to having to whisper in the ears of mortals that he would have crushed in his prime. And he's still remembering his prime. He's trying to get back to it. He's living in a past that's already been burned to ash. So instead of allowing the future to come rolling in green, he's trying to take it down in ash as well. We pan down on these roaring flames to find in the center of this whipping cyclone a fire, Sayer. Sayer is whipping up the cyclone, attempting to siphon all of the flames from Aregnus and seeing Armagen lead us in this particular round of combat, striking back against Aregnus, Sayer remembers his sibling's words echoing in his mind. Distraction. This is what he's trained for his entire life. He is to be the bulwark for his strike team and by fate will he do so. And as he draws back into the flame, his own flame, Connie, what I would like to do is use Aregnus's flame that I'm siphoning, tap into my own internal power and convert it into mine to strike back at him. I'm not only siphoning it away, I'm converting it and whacking him again. Okay, that's gonna either be a grace, sharps, or veils edge, I think, unless you can try to sell me on a different one. Teeth? You know what? I'll give it to you, because you're just using like pure fierceness to do this. Okay, what skill are you bringing in? Break. Okay, go for it. I'm gonna have you cut two, similar to Armagen. The more this battle drags on, the harder it is to fight against Aragonus. Fantastic. I will use my guide my hands trait to burn a measure of my internal powers competency to gain additional two ranks. So I will roll 5d6. What does it look like as you're bringing in guide my hands? Just so you know what the roll is, that is, that's still two fives and a one. <laughs> okay, a conflict with a twist yet again. Yep. The way this looks is that Sayer is eyes closed almost meditatively inside the cyclone of fire that he is imbued within. And after a heartbeat, two heartbeats, the branch beneath him gives way. He clicks the buttons on his gauntlets and his black feathers open up beneath him and he starts spinning in place using the heat and the fire to keep him afloat. And as he is doing this in this meditative state, he calls to it, to whatever sleeps within him that's silent inside him and just says, a bit more, I need a bit more from you. Just let me prove this, prove that this power means something to me, to us, please and I will attempt to convert the red arterial flame to obsidian. Obsidian, okay. As this red fire surges around you, we see ribbon by ribbon, tongue by tongue, finger by finger, crimson begin to melt to blue and then to pure black as it spins around you. 
until what's surrounding you is a pure obsidian tornado of flame that doesn't burn you, but rather exudes a kind of different destructive force that isn't heat, isn't fire, but is uniquely you, say here. And in this moment, you feel attuned to it. You feel in control, not the kind of control a Regnus had afforded you, but a kind of control you're stepping forward into, into your own in a real, genuine way. And as this black flame swings around you, where are you directing it upward? I am directing it to the side of Oregnus's face and the neck. And as I am launching these bits of attack towards Oregnus, I say, hey, eyes on me, puny god. <laughs> blade after blade after blade of pure destructive shadow, void, thunder, lightning, heat, flame, ice, whatever this is, it's elemental and it's destructive and it's you, it shoots out of you and it slashes across the side of his fiery face, across his throat, across the upper rib of his shoulder and he flinches backward even as Amarjin also continues to surge toward him and he lets out a nuts, 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 and an explosion of fire sonic booms out of him and sweeps downward toward that burning branch you're standing on. The drawback is gonna be you're gonna get hit with this pretty hard. You're also gonna have to mark three boxes as you're buffeted by this destructive force from Aragonus. The twist I'll give you is Sing. She is standing upon a floating pink platform, several dozen feet even above Armorgen, a couple dozen feet away from the heart of the battle. She's breathing really heavily, has been acting as a distracting force, even as a bossy surges forward and continues pecking, basically, with little slashes from her gauntlets, acting as like a diving crow to distract a regnus. You see your sister look down at you and her pink eyes are bright and burning as she sees you channel this energy in a way that you seem to have some measure of control over. And you see her pink eyes light up. As the twist is, you've inspired your sister. She pauses in her frenetic attacks toward Aregnus and closes her eyes. And you feel something, Sayer. You feel a bond between the two of you resonate outward as Sing too, is tapping into some deep, latent power within herself that she's always been aware of, but even as the Chosen One has never fully stepped into, and you begin to see the pink around her thin out, thin to ribbons that are floating around her? No, threads. And the threads around her are starting to turn red. Not red like a regnus but read in some preceptual way. And then we push down to Lumira and Sinan. Noah shivers upon the dark, scorched ground, flakes of his own skin peeling off his chest in plumes of bright, desiccated ash. He coughs, a shuddering, faded cough. And Lumira, that bright red X in front of you glitches one more time as you blink before buzzing out of existence. Noah's washed out eyes sees you. He pushes himself onto his hands, and even though he's shaking, it's clear from his expression he did not see that flickering X. His eyes are trained on you. How dare you, girl? Ah, ah, ah. You heard her name. Don't make me have to remind you again. 
You should know it by now. So, it seems we've come to an impasse. You can't go no further. <coughs> so, I can finish what I started here. Or, you kneel and stay down. What? Did I stutter? Noah, see, the thing about me is when I find out someone's name, I intend to use it. You. You know nothing of what I can do. On your knees. Lumira, that's a roll. That's a roll. That's a roll, baby girl. Oh. I'm going to give you an extra 1d6, though, because you dropped his name. And the shock that spreads across his face like blood across snow is imminent. So the edge, I think, is either going to be teeth or iron, but you can sell me on it, Rowan. I will absolutely go for iron. And then I will... I want to offer study as a skill hmm. because I want to know exactly what using his name did. Okay, yeah, into it. So roll iron plus study with a plus one circumstantial d6. Gotcha. I think this is the hottest shit I've ever seen in my life because it's two sixes sitting right here. And Let's go! <laughs> I love this. I love this. Every single word that you throw at him cuts deep in the same place, precise and intense. And what you get from your study is that name, that word was one that he tried to walk away from. And you remember that memory you dipped into of Noah, of seeing his father, that same faded, hateful figure that he's now grown up to become, you see his father's mouth move in the syllables to form that word Noah. And there's a sneer at the side of that old man's mouth, Noah. It was a name that was given to him, not one that he wanted to claim. Because you see, Lumira, Noah may have been raised in hatred, but he always had a choice. He always had the choice to move away from it, but he did not. And every image that flashes across your mind of the paths he took to become who he is now may have been started by his father, but he chose to end it himself like this. You disgrace. You have had every single opportunity to make things right once you have learned from your mistakes, but instead you wallow in it. You draw hatred from it. It should push you forward for change. For better, do something about it. Don't take it out on everyone else. Grow up. <laughs> that is motherfucking devastating. You see the aggression on Noah's face, like the hatred, the condescension with every word that you say, because there's anger in your voice as well. But even more devastating than that, there's understanding because you see him for who he truly is. And all that aggression fades away, it cracks, and you just see this faded, violent person who has never done anything that was hard because that would mean doing the right thing. And he is just knelt there looking at you, propped up on one hand, and all of that aggression just fades away and you just see like a shadow of a man staring at you, vibrating there almost between realities, like one more word from you might crumble all of him into dust. Even as you see that pulsing liminal in his chest that you're still controlling with perfect precision, flake away more and more of his sternum into ash. 
I widen it just a little bit. <sighs> I, I thought you were a healer, Lumira. Isn't there some part of you, some compassionate, pitying part of you that knows what you're doing to me? <clears throat> Is wrong. I may have done things that I'm not proud of, but you, if you keep doing this to me, you, you too, you will become no, no better than me. You will become a murderer. I like to think, and she will widen it again. I like to think that the loss of one for the lives of many is a little worth it, don't you think? And Zynan, you have been standing by watching all of this go down. You're seeing Lumira quirk her wrist, right, in a perfect clock-like formation to widen that hole, that time-struck hole in the center of Noah's chest, but still not quite quick enough to kill him yet. What do you do? First, I have a question. Mm-hmm. The X, was that visible to Zynan as well? Yes. I think it took him a moment to even catch up to what was going on because he stared at that and it was like burned into his vision. And finally coming back and seeing Lumira manipulate something that Zynan's never seen anyone do before, this unmaking. And he steps forward, the red arterial fire in his eyes, that X still echoing. How did you know who we are? <laughs> if I tell you, would it even make a difference in how all of this ends? <laughs> I suppose that doesn't matter. Answer him. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. Gunslinger. Arachnus tells me things. He is a god. He can see past the veils that separate worlds. And so I know only from hearsay, from my god, that there are worlds, worlds beyond this one, beyond even the wild sea. And from one of those worlds, people like you came to Arachnus 300 years ago and planted a bright green seed of his doom. Huh. So you're saying you've heard of us. Yes. And as he says that, his hand goes under his clothes, not all the way back like he's reaching for his rifle, but into one of the pouches on his hip. Yes, yes, I have heard of you. Uh, people like you, gunslinger, like you, healer. You see, we are really, really not so dissimilar. All of us serve a greater purpose, no? You're right, I do. And Zynan takes the gunpowder pouch that he has been carrying, what he uses to load his gun. And with the same hand that he punched Noah with, shoves it into the ash. In his chest? Yes. <gasps> I think in that moment, Lumira, you could see her hand shaking. 
as she's trying to hold it. And as she sees you reaching, she lessens it, makes eye contact with you and steps to the side. What have you... As soon as you release the liminal, Noah explodes. Bits of flesh, bone, blood, gore, we only see this for a fraction of a second before it all disintegrates into dust. No, Ash, no. Is there really a difference now, Zynan, as all of it settles heavy and ashen and dust-like onto the leaves around you, onto the brim of your hat, onto the shoulders of your black duster, onto Lumira's hair, streaking those black strands with white artificially, even as more of that white has coiled outward. And the liminal, as soon as it's gone, your hand springs back from the force of releasing it, like you've just let go of a recoiling gun yourself. And on that recoil, on that explosion, we shoot upward into the canopy, into the soaring heat and roaring fires and flames of Aregnus and Amergen. So, Amergen, you have just been blasted full in the face by a column of fire. You're still mostly fine. What do you do? It's time for my, I I gotta start my idea. I think I get Aregnus' attention long enough for I see Sierra gets Aregnus' attention back. So I think we have like ping ponged this dipshit enough where he's having a hard time keeping his focus on something. I fly up above Aregnus and I have a question once I get above Aregnus. I love these horrifying questions for my players. I feel menaced as a game master. Go ahead. You asked somebody last time, what's the color of your soul two minutes into the session? (laughs) Uh, Did I feel my mom tug on me? Yes, it was a deep, instinctual, magical feeling. I get up above a Regnus and I start to circle almost like a perfect, like almost like in a perfect circle, like I almost like hit my own tail. Mother, I need your help. Okay. Okay. That's going to be a roll. That's going to be a roll, Armagen, to see how quickly you can reach your mother and how much of her help can come through this connection. So edgewise, I think this is either tides or sharks or grace. Let's use tides. I have tides and grace. Tides feels cooler. Let's do it. Yeah, you're like literally connecting to the tides of the wild sea in this moment. What skill are you bringing in? Can we say sense? Yeah, let's say so. And since you're still in dragon form, 3d6 to the pool. It's not as sexy as Sam's. It's a five and a six. That is still a triumph. Yes. So, Amarjun, what does it feel like as you reach out to your mother through this soul bond the two of you have? When I was six, I was playing in the palace and I had this weird idea that I could fly. And so six-year-old Amogen tried to leap from one of the one of the parapets and almost as like a second nature, my mom was like at the bottom and just like caught me. And it was this this like feeling of weightlessness. And I didn't start flying, but I also knew I wasn't going to be hurt. Because I knew, mm. I knew someone was going to be there. I knew it would be her. And I think it's like that. I think it's like a feeling of weightlessness. And I know she's going to be on the other side. That feeling of weightlessness comes through you again as you circle upward and begin to uh, circulate above Aragnus's head. You cry out, you know, reach out for your mother. And then when you look again, she's there. Mylesia, she's next to you. 
And you're both dragons and you are both women and you are mother and daughter and you see her face and she sees yours and she cups the side of your cheek with love and tenderness and she says, Armorgen, my child, my daughter, my heart, call the storm and I will come. And through the circle that you have formed, a storm begins to coalesce. And as the rains begin to surge downward, a deluge pours. These are the same rains buffeting Siren's song as the rain falls down through this curtain of water. We now go back, back west toward Siren's song. And we see Mylesia perched upon her palace, her eyes glowing cerulean. And she looks away from her left where she sees that visage of her daughter that she was just cupping the side of her face. It vanishes and she redirects her attention back to her people as she drowns out the last of the fires consuming her home and a proud smile widens across her mouth and we cut back east, back down through the thrash and the tangle and the sink and the drown into the darkness under eaves where you are circling and summoning the storm. And Amargen, tell me, how does the storm feel as it pours out of you? I have been angry for so long and I didn't know why. And it's not even at Arachnus. And it's not at my mother, and I don't, I don't think, I don't think I figured out why I've been so angry, but I know now that I am no longer angry. I don't even hate Arugnus. I don't hate the Baron. Have I forgiven? No, but I refuse to carry this rage in my heart anymore. Hmm. So does this storm feel like that letting go and that deluge of all those emotions pouring downward? Yeah, I think it feels like. I don't think the episode of Rage is love. I think the episode of Rage is relief. Mmm. These rains, Amargen, these life-giving, soul-restoring, cleansing, healing waters pour down from this circle. And it's not that the water wants to conquer or destroy the fire. It's that the fire can't feel kindness without shirking away. And as the water pours down upon Aregna, steam erupts in huge gallons above his shoulders. He lets out a you and we see him die down and then get big and then die down and then get big again as he's oscillating trying to beat back against the downpour of water by channeling more and more into his own fire into his own rage this is relief fighting against anger this is rage exploding against the attempt to heal and recenter and in this moment as oh, this fire is growing big and then small and then massive and then tiny and then big and then small again, we cut down to Sayer. Sayer, you witness all of this happen. And though you might have plans forming in your head, for some reason, movement underneath you, beyond the burning branch, somewhere in the darkness under eaves, catches your eye. And you see her. Igni. She's starting to move, ignored, overlooked by the rest of Nova and the Scions in the midst of this furious battle. What do you do? I think Seiya was knocked out of the cyclone of obsidian, of flame. And as the rains fell and Oregnus is being tampered down by the cooling waters, he was knocked off balance and spun in the air for a moment, but he still regains his footing with his wings. 
And as he notices the movement towards Igni, I think he just lands onto its the side that she's walking towards and just lands with both his feet and just asks, and where are you heading? And Igni, this titan of a woman, her past burned to ash, her future on the verge of ignition, she pulls herself to her full eight feet of height. And you see, all of you see, just past that exterior of hardened amber, the night she once was, the night she could have been. If only. Igni's eyes are crimson as fire, crimson as blood, but a flash of that coal black gaze remains buried somewhere deep within her like a seed within sunken loam. And at first her face is wide with shock. She's looking past you at the Baron's exploded form, now just shattered into dust. No. And then Aregnus roars. The oil black blood, the blood red oil, it pours from Igni's nostrils and her eyes and her mouth and she uh, falls back down onto one knee and she groans. I fall onto my knees and Sayer kind of like grabs hold of Igni's shoulder and he's beginning to call that power again, that power of destruction, of calamity, to try and siphon this oil like he had seen in his own omens. But he knows he can't do it unless Igni lets him. And he looks down at Igni's eye, like arterial eyes, and says, he is killing you. Let him go. Let this go. I don't understand. I, I thought this was the way. I thought this was the way to make things right, to make up for all the times I've failed. You did not fail. This is not who you are. And I think like as as he's trying to like grip onto Igni steadying her as the oil keeps like sputtering out of her. I know this is not who you are, Iphigenia. Oh, how, how, how do you know? Who are you? I met a really, really cool pirate queen. And she talks about you the way the immortal speaks of the glory of the sun. She speaks of you like basking in its light, in its warmth. She speaks of you like a protected. I know what that's like. And he like grips onto her tighter. I know what that's like. You're not a killer. You're a protector. That's who you are. Even though this oil black blood continues to pour from her eyes, her nostrils, her mouth. She stops shuddering. She stops shivering and shaking as you speak to her, as you look into her gaze and you see the crimson of her irises begin to peel back, fade, spread away to reveal the coal black obsidian that was always underneath, that has not yet been transmuted into a pure object of hatred and despair. They're looking for you. They still hope. And Igni, no. Iphigenia looks up at you, Sayer, and breathes in 
And when she exhales again with a sputtering cough, you use that power within yourself to siphon out, to draw out that last bit of influence that Aregna still has over her like an oil black snake. You rip it out of her soul and it rides in your grip like an eel trying to slither out from your grasp. How do you get rid of it? Sayer looks down at Igni, looks back up to the flame, well, to the oil serpent in his hands. And all he says is, die, little omen. And he will ignite it in flame in his hand. A pillar of flame opens up in your hand, and this oil black omen wiggles furiously for half a second before disintegrating into ash. And as you release your hand, the flames vanish, and a crumbling pillar of dust like salt pillows downward to your feet. And if he looks down at you, chest heaving, looking more like herself than you've ever seen her. And she says, he lied to me. I should have known. He lied about Axel. He lied even about me being barren of flame. He promised me the title that he bestowed upon you. But this whole time I was just oil. I was just a resource. He was just using me like he was using you. I... I can't believe what I've done. These titles are not valuable. They're illusions. They are manipulations. And he kneels back down. And Sayer's blue eyes, those boyish young blue eyes, look upon Iphigenia. All I wanted to do was protect my strike team. And I imagine all you wanted to do was to protect Axel, the twins, the others. I can't imagine what place I would be if I knew that I failed my own strike team. But it's not too late for either of us. And he'll stand up, extend an arm down. We can make this right. We can fix everything. I... I have a future to fight for. And she reaches up to you and clasps your hand. And on that connection happening, up above in the canopy, a regness writhing against this deluge, circling down from Aubergine, lets out a piercing, shrieking, desperate, angry roar as he feels that connection between himself and his final baron break. And he flings a claw down and a bolt of fire shoots down past the storm pouring downward, past that burning branch that Sayer drifted down from, toward where Igni is currently trying to straighten up to her full height, grabbing onto Sayer, Lumira, and Zynan. The two of you are also right there and you hear that roar first and you see that bolt of flame come down. What do the two of you do? Zaynan doesn't react. He's still standing, staring at the ash pile that remains. And all he says is, trust in her will. Just for a brief second, Lumira was stuck, still, shaking just a little bit. The hand that was holding the liminal is still shaking in nervousness. Her typical nervous jittering before she steals herself when she hears those words, trust in her will, because she does. Lumira nods, trust in her. And I want to attempt to push them out of the way. Yeah, Sayer and Igni. 
Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. Uh, so I'm gonna say in terms of how fast you're able to do it and how much damage you're able to mitigate for them and yourself, uh, that's gonna be like an iron or a teeth edge, but you can sell me on something else. I'll take iron, iron's cool. Excellent. What skill are you bringing in? Brace. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, go for it. Okay. Zion, while Lumira's rolling, would you like to assist her effort or do something else in this moment? I think the moment that she starts to walk forward, he remembers that we're in a place that's actively on fire and he is going to step forward with her probably a moment behind and he takes the last like bit of the bag that's in his hand still and is going to try and use the actual physical item to impede some of the flame, like blow off some of the fire. Oh, I see, like throw it up toward the fire mm -hmm. and have like an explosion disperse some of the impact. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I think that's either gonna be grace for like the precision of it or teeth for just you purely throwing that shit up there. Sure, yeah, uh, I'm gonna say grace. Excellent, what skill are you bringing in? I think this is gonna be another like, he's trying to outwit Mm. the the actual direction of the fire and like get the angle correct and all that stuff. Sounds good. Make an outwit roll. Lumira, what did you get? I got a five. A five? Is there a twist? No, just a five. That's a conflict. Success with a drawback. Okay. And Zynan, what did you get? Six with a pair of threes. Okay. Six with a pair of threes. What that means is, Lumira, you successfully run forward and what does it look like as you shove Sayer and Igni to safety? I think... Lumira starts walking before she runs and picks up the pace before she is full sprinting towards Sayer and Igni and just like football tackles them, like linemen just directly out of the way. Damn herself. Absolutely. Igni also goes, you have like a surprising amount of strength given the fact that you're a trained healer, right? But you tackle Sayer and both him and Igni go tumbling off to the side. However, you do as the drawback end up kind of prone in the place exactly where the fireball would have rained down on if it were not for Zynan. And as you huck this satchel of basically gunpowder, we see it arc upward in a perfect scythe of violence and then boosh, explode against this fireball several dozen feet above your heads. And it disperses like a firework into dozens of flaming trails that spatter all over you before sizzling, being eaten up and drowned by the soft, wet loam around your feet. A couple of it, I think, rain down harmlessly on all of you like sparklers and the twist means that Oregnus had distracted himself by throwing down that final act of like vengeance toward this act of betrayal and is now I think getting drowned out more and more and more by this deluge we push back up as he shrinks from the size of being gargantuan to about Amergen size and continues to shrink even more he's now trying to fly out of the storm but I assume Armagen, you either just widen your circle or you follow that bitch. I'm assuming you're like not letting him get out of the storm cloud, yes? Yeah, you can assume that. I realize I'm shaking my head and this is also a podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. And at the same time, all of you, no matter where you are in the battle, you hear Sing's voice cry out. This is it. This is our chance. 
and she jumps off of her platform and we see those red threads that are riveting behind her like an unsewn cape now all arc forward, almost like arms reaching forward toward Aregnus. And even as she hovers in the air, these threads ribbon around this fire god and bind him in place. And they stretch between his limbs, stringing him up almost like he's caught in the center of some great web that only Sing was able to really see and pluck at. And now he's totally strung down. He's resisting against these threads of red. He's spewing fire from his maw, trying to burn them. But he's unable to. He's too weak from the deluge coming down from above him. And Aubergine, you know, this is it. It's as Singh said. He hasn't reached the apex of his form yet. Now is the time to strike. And as you're circling, circling, as that storm continues to pour down, your mother's voice, that caress against your cheek, still lingers as a ghostly, a spiritual touch. And her voice says to you, Amergen, together, what do you do? I keep circling and I get a hint. I see like Abasi flinging themselves yep. like a mosquito against a window. <laughs> and I see, where is Suhyun? Suhyun. Suhyun is in the darkness under eaves this whole time, watching everything. Their hands have been poised, and you all got the sense that if any of you had been in genuinely dire straits, like you were about to die, they would have intervened. Okay, I see them, and I keep circling, and I think anyone uh, can see emergencies, like, the circling's like slowing down, like, it's, it's, I'm tiring out. And she says out loud, yes, together. <sighs> My friends, my love, I need your help too. And in the pit of Amarjan's eye, both eyes forms like one perfect teardrop in both eye. And you see that like obsidian black start to like drain and their eyes turn swoolingly in. And down to Suyan, one tear drops and like envelops like their whole body. Uh, it's, it's like it's like a yeah. teardrop on me and it drops down and it's like, oh, a car. And the same thing happens to Bossy when at times they like arc up and drop, it like hits them as well. And I say, I alone am not the wild sea. We are the wild sea. And we must do this together. Bear your teeth and join me. And Amergen, Abasi begins to glow, and so does Suhyon. That same bright cerulean blue ensconces both scions, lifting them up into the air, up, 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 beside you, bathing them in ancestral magic. Abasi's eyes go wide, wide as saucers, wide as the twin moons, as the feathers from her gauntlets spread across her arms, across her torso, across her face. And at the same time, scales appear on Suhyun's skin, each the color of the sky, covering their legs, their back, their face. And that bright blue cerulean light consumes both scions whole, turning them into formless silhouettes that grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until they are each the size of Aubergine. And then the light shatters off 
the scion of body and the scion of mind to reveal two more dragons. Abasi is feathered and brawdy, with a pair of brown and white wings the same color as squalls, but her serpentine, twisting body is a mixture of blues, reds, greens, and golds, the tropical palette of the Raya. She has a pair of front talons that protrudes from a muscular chest and a rippling mane of iridescent colors alongside two powerful golden antlers, the color of the sun. Next to Abasi, Sukhyon is slender and twisting, their draconic body dexterous, even small compared to the other two scions, but what they lack in physical strength, they double in arconautical prowess. An amethyst is embedded in their forehead, mounted above a pair of bright blue eyes brimming with magical might. They exert an unseen but deeply felt field that empowers all allies of the wild sea that bask within it and causes the flames of Aragonus to shirk away, hissing with pain. Armorjan, how do you guide the other two scions in their draconic forms? Do y'all remember the first time we played? And I boop Abbasian nose, you're it. <laughs> This is amazing! I feel stronger than I've ever felt before! Do you see me, Aubergine? Do you see how strong I am? Yes. Now, we have a ritual to finish, and I got to put back to sleep. Yes, quite. I fly off, and I... How I guide them is we literally look like we are three dragons dancing and playing in the sky to keep this going, because again, we, this is... Not about revenge. This is not about anger. This is about feeling the relief of letting go of rage. And mm. what better than playing a game of tag like you're six? I fucking love this. As the other scions join you in this dance, you no longer have to keep the storm going by yourself. Though clouds down here at the bottom of the world continue to widen and widen and widen, covering not just the central tied up body of Aragonus, but all the other fires that he's started with his emergence, dousing them, draining them of their aggressive power. And now as these dragons circle above and Aragonus continues to shrink under Sing's power, we pan back down to strike Team Nova, for I think like one last round of action in this pivotal, crucial moment, we flash back to Zynan first. After the explosion and suddenly there's dragons, plural, and there's a, there's a lot going on. And he sees the Scions, the real purpose behind their mission to rescue the princesses and bring them home. They're here. They don't need us, but they need their home. And Zynan looks down to the crystal that he has been wearing around his neck, the seat of the pinwolf spirit Morn. And he pulls it off his neck and says, come here, boy, and calls forth the spirit of Morn. Morn springs out of this crystal and there's almost like a distant howling as the spirit wolf is summoned. I need you to do one last thing for me. I'm gonna send you home. And he pulls from his jacket, from the same place that he had been keeping a note at the beginning of this mission, but now it's a new note. 
it's a different note. And it's folded nicely, and he's been thinking. And he puts the crystal into that note. And very quickly, with just ash on his fingers, he scribbles on the outside of this nicely folded note, Aregnus fire, the scions are at Jianyu. Send aid. And he hands the whole thing to Morn. I need you to go home. And Morn takes this note and the amethyst in his mouth. Even though it's translucent, the note vanishes as soon as it's within his maw. And he bounds up with impossible dexterity, up like 30, 40, 50 feet onto the nearest branch, and then up 60 feet onto the next one, bounding up, 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 using the deluge as cover, even as the rain passes through his body. And then he's gone with a purpose stalwart in his mind. Zainan, is there anything else you do? He's just going to turn back to the fight with his rifle ready. All right. And next to you, we pan to Lumira. Lumira is on an adrenaline high. Her eyes are wild and she looks around frantically. Her hand is right next to where she keeps her knife. And she just kind of steps back in formation behind Zynan, flanking him at his left. Yeah. We see your eyes widen, your heart pounding, adrenaline rushing through your body as you step into formation next to Zynan and look up at what you hope will be the end of this tumultuous fight. And as you look up, we pan next to you to find Sayer. Sayer watches his better half flit and move like a songbird in the wind, dashing across these red threads. And there's this moment where he sinks into himself and he's never felt more connected to his sibling, to his sister. They are one in this moment. Her heartbeat is his heartbeat. Her heightened pulse is his. Her rapid breathing is also his. And she needs him. So Sayer unsheaths his crescent blades and feels that incredible presence of a very tall woman with a set of golden eyes and he whistles because Squall is still around right because Abasi has turned into a dragon and as he whistles for Squall I would love to get on Squall to get to to be on the other side of Sing to help her keep this beast down and taut. Absolutely! Why the fuck not? Yeah Squall breaks through some leaves, canopies, twigs right? exploding out of this ignited shadow uh, and scoops underneath you without even needing to pause and look at you to understand what's happening. You jump onto their back and you're being borne up back toward the fight. To my sister. Thanks, boy. And there's a as those wings flap and you are ascending 10, 20, 30, 40 feet going toward that bound up fire god. And now we pan to Amurgen. Amurgen, what does the final play the final game this final gambit of yours look like to end this i mean i got a tag of regnus yeah i think we all three coiled down we start forming like a tighter and tighter circle we start coiling around a regnus you call us children you say that you are god what i see is a scared forgotten relic and i feel sorry for you it cannot be easy to be forgotten 
It cannot be easy to feel loss. It cannot be easy to be unmade. If I thought there was any chance for us to coexist, I would seek it. I do not hate you. I do not even pity you because you are not worth the time. So, Aregnus, I say goodbye. And if there ever comes a time, I think you can know relief and peace. I will say hello. And I, we all like we tighten and tighten and tighten until Suihan is like around the legs and Abasi is like gripping the chest. And I stop and look right at Aragnus's face. And I just am going to like, hopefully, tap the center of their head and hope we have done enough to turn them into a pile of ash. <laughs> Don't laugh like that. Hey, everyone, don't my kind of laugh like that. Okay. With a claw, you tap him in the center of his head and he freezes. This whole time he was thrashing against these ribbons of red, tying his limbs to every tree, every root of the wild sea, but he stills suddenly as you tap him between the eyes and he looks at you with an unreadable expression. And even as the rains continue to pour down and the heat sizzles against his form, he doesn't vanish. Instead, he closes his eyes and for a half second, the fire on his body goes out and he turns into just a serpent of pure oil. And as the water collects against the oil, we see it ripple, like rain falling on mud. And then a noise begins to build. A strange distant noise, but no, it's actually happening right in front of you. You see a bright red heart begin to glow within that oil black chest, spreading outward a brighter, more crimson flame than even ever before. And he opens his eyes and the pits of his eyes are a blazing, blazing red beyond what arterial could be. And fire explodes outward from his body, pummeling into you, pummeling into Suhyon, pummeling even into Abasi, who is the last to be flung off of Aregnus's body. And I need all three scions and everyone on the floor and Seir who's on Squall to mark four boxes as this final fiery eruption emanates from him as Oregnus reaches his final form. I'm sorry, you said how fucking many? Four boxes. I was hoping you were lying. Okay. Four boxes. <laughs> and his fiery wings spread wide, exploding from his back, severing every single red thread, and Sing is flung backward. She writes herself midair and lands on a midair platform, but she's also scorched, and his eyes are blazing, and his body is blazing with newfound fury in the face of his rallying opposition, and he says, The time has come for me to stop playing with my food. I tire of your naive prattle. Feast your unworthy eyes upon the true heart of Aregnus and learn the true meaning of despair. And on that, 
he reaches a claw upward toward the unseen sky. And the fire climbs so high, it scorches the stars black. This episode was edited by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our original intro theme music is by Jonathan Charles. Transplaner RPG is supported by our incredible Patreon precepts. Folks pledge to our highest tier on Patreon. A massive thank you to Eliza Fuller, Rose, Cassidy, Jordan, Phil, Derek Davidson, Brooke in Seattle, Spencer, Lyle and Peanut, Mark J, Alex, Hat, Scruffisus, Lex Slater, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, and Charles. Pledge to our Patreon today for as little as $3 a month to unlock exclusive news, character sheets, GM notes, and even the chance for your tabletop OC to cameo in our show. Until next time, Transplay Nerds!